excited about. Today we, we were in this series called Jesus, the God-Man Who Dwelt Among Us. And the first uh, part of the series, we kind of split it up into three months. And the first part of the series uh, was the first month of June, and then the second part, July. Uh, we went through the parables, some, some incredible parables of Jesus. Uh, and then the second month, we went through different moments, really in, intense kind of uh, times in Jesus' life. We looked at very specific moments in his life. And then this month, what we're going to look at is uh, some significant conversations that Jesus had with people. Uh, and these are life-changing conversations that Jesus had uh, with these people. And so uh, the, the people that were, these conversations were to cover, today we're going to look at the rich young ruler. We never get this man's name. Uh, probably good for him. Uh, well, you'll understand that at the end of the story. Uh, next week, we're going to look at Zacchaeus. Uh, then the week after that, we'll be looking at Nicodemus then the woman at the well, and then we'll be ending this series uh, with a look at Peter, the apostle, as he is uh, known by the end of the New Testament. Uh, but we'll be in Luke 18, chap uh, chapter 18, verses 18 to 30, and uh, I, we're going to look at what uh, human possibility or human impossibility and God's possibility, uh, and it's, it's a really interesting uh, conversation that Jesus has with somebody. Uh, and so what's happening right before this conversation is Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. Uh, and he's having this kind of dialogue with people on what is the kingdom of God and what does it mean to inherit eternal life. Uh, and after he finishes this conversation, this young man, uh, this young rich man, comes to Jesus, and he talks to him about this concept, about eternal life and the kingdom of God. And it's a very fascinating, very intriguing uh, conversation that we get to look in today and, and kind of be a part of it because it, it speaks so much still to our culture because, you know, a lot of things change about human culture and how we interact, but something that doesn't change is just kind of the heart of who humans are and the things that we have struggled with may look different uh, on the material aspect, you know. Uh, we want uh, mansions, yachts, and to live a hundred stories in the sky at a penthouse. Uh, that is a material thing that we may want, but back then it might have been that, like, you know, you have 8,000 sheep. Uh, it looked different, but in essence, it is still the same thing. Uh, and so we get a window into this conversation with this young man uh, that, is, that is really fascinating that we're going to talk about. And we're going to kind of look first at the first part, uh, starting in verse 18, reading to the first part of verse 22. So you can read with me on the screen. It says, and a ruler asked him, or Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, the young ruler, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. We're going to stop there. See, this is interesting because this young man, he comes to Jesus, and he poses this question to Jesus. He says, what must I do 
to inherit eternal life. But to address Jesus, he says, good teacher. And what Jesus does and what I love, he, you know, he constantly does this as you read through the Gospels and you read through the conversations and we're kind of going to get into this. What Jesus does with these conversations is he usually switches them into a route that the person was not expecting. They are having a conversation going this way and Jesus says, I'm sorry, we're going to go this way. A lot of times, if you have a relationship with God, you'll find out that he does that to you in your life as well. You tell Jesus, you know, God, we're going to talk about this thing. I'm going here. And he says, no, actually, we're going to go here and let's talk about this. Sometimes could be very frustrating, but it is incredibly life-giving, and we're going to understand why. So this man, he, he poses and he gives this title. He says, good, uh, good teacher. And Jesus uh, ignores his question on eternal life, and he says, why do you call me good? And that is uh, a, a very important question that Jesus poses to this man, and, and the reason why it's important is because Jesus is setting him up, and this is, this is kind of what Jesus does in his conversations. Uh, there are constantly people trying to trick Jesus uh, but what they don't know is the man who created wisdom was amongst them talking with them. And so they couldn't beat him at his, uh, his own thing. And so Jesus is setting this guy up for a later point. Uh, and if, if you know any good storytellers, any good kind of stand-up comedians or movies, usually there are things that are happening in the beginning of the story that you don't fully understand until it comes to the end of it. And that's kind of what Jesus is doing here. And he says, why do you call me good? And, and the question I want to pose for us, which Jesus was posing here for this man, is what is good? You know, in our culture and in our lives, we have this understanding, this perception of what good is. Uh, good is maybe being a law-abiding citizen. You know, good is, uh, for some of us, good is I went to work today without cursing somebody out. That, that is good. I, I am a good person. Sometimes uh, good is... Um, you know, I, I, if, if you're married, good is I've, you know, I've never committed adultery on my spouse. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been faithful, so I've been a good person, you know. Uh, good may mean that you've paid your taxes, you've, uh, you, you were honest at your job, uh, you've done everything that you thought was right, um, and... You know, you were good. But the, the thing about good is it's, it's incredibly relative, meaning good means something different to everybody. You know, good for a drug dealer may be that he is loyal uh, and doesn't sell people out. So to him or to her, they are a good drug dealer. <laughs> it's true. I've met, you know, good drug dealers. Not necessarily purchasing from them, but I've met them. You know, there's, there's good psychiatrist drug dealers and there's good street drug dealers. Sorry, that was too serious for everybody. You know, a good Wall Street executive may be somebody who dodges taxes so that they can get higher returns for their clients. That may be... What somebody, they think they're a good person for doing these types of things. Well, I'm making my clients money. 
A parent may believe that they are being a good parent because they are stealing in order to provide for their family. Right? There may be a split in this room. We could debate that all day. Is this person good? But the the thing that we need to understand is that good is relative. It could mean different things to different people. What you may perceive as good is different than what I may perceive as good. But what Jesus was getting at is that there is a true meaning of good. And what he asked this person, he says, why do you call me good? Because only God is good. And so what he's, what he's, what he's saying right here is, this guy doesn't know that Jesus is God. He would have called him by a different title. Uh, that, you know, Jesus didn't really have his uh, party until he entered into Jerusalem where he was truly proclaiming his messiahship and kingship on Palm Sunday. And so uh, most people that interacted with him thought he was a great rabbi or a prophet or this, you know, good teacher. And so when Jesus says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. What he's saying to this person is that your understanding of good is a little messed up if you are using it so flippantly as to call a person good. We read in 1 John 1.8, it says this, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. See, Jesus, what he was doing was he was laying an even playing field. He said, if we're gonna use this word good and we're gonna understand eternal life, then first to understand eternal life, we have to understand what the meaning of good is. And he's correcting this man's understanding of good. And when we read scripture and we understand what is Jesus's interpretation of good, it is this. Only God is good. See, In Jeremiah 17, verse 9 and 10, it says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. You may be thinking, why is it fair that God can say that only he is good? And then reading 1 John 1, 8, saying that, If we say that we have no sin, we are basically liars. Why is it fair to have this assumption? Well, we can say this in clarity, or God can say this in all fairness, because he searches our hearts and knows us. See, the the moment that we are honest with ourselves, maybe we can't speak for other people, but we can have a moment of soul searching. Let's soul search for a while. Are you good? Are you good? Well, if you look deep in your heart, maybe I, I, I remember I was asked this question in an interview once. Um, I, was, I was applying for an internship in a, in a church, and we were going through this uh, long interview process, uh, and then the lady was interviewing me, and then she says, hold on, I'm, I'm done with this portion of the interview. I'm going to get a, a man. He's going to come finish, finish the interview. If you've been in church culture long enough, you realize this conversation's about to get a little heavy. And I was not expecting that for a Skype interview. And so the the lady, she leaves the room, and this guy comes walking into her cubicle, and he sits down, and he starts asking 
uh, me questions uh, about my past and starts asking me about my sexual history and about, you know, when was the last time you did this? Or, you know, when was the last time you did that? I was like, you know, are you, are you trying, are you engaged? Are you getting engaged? Like, or is, is, are you trying, like, what, what's happening right now? Uh, this is getting a little close for comfort. And he ended the interview with this one question. I'll pose this same question to you because I remember thinking I was good in that interview until he gave me this question and he said this. He said, Justin, is there anything that you have done that you have never told anybody about before? And I was like, hmm, hmm, did I tell somebody about that? I think I told somebody about that. Did I tell somebody about, I think I told somebody about that, but ooh, mm-mm, nope. And he said this, he said, remember, this is a yes or no question. You cannot respond with any other word but yes or no. Explanations are not allowed. I was like, okay, thank you. So uh, have you ever done anything that you haven't told anybody about? Let me ask you that question. If that was a yes or no question, no maybes, no anything in between, is there anything that you have done that you have never told anybody about? And after about the longest 60 seconds of my life, in this random man Skype interview, I answered Yes, there are things that I've done that I've never told anybody about. I felt pretty not good at that moment because all of his question, you know, if you know my life, my, my story is not, it's, you know, if you grow up in church, you have people with exciting testimonies and then you have people like me, uh, which don't have exciting testimonies, but you know, I, I pray and I hope that if you have children, nieces, nephews, or spiritual kids, that they can come to you with unexciting testimony. So I thought in this interview I was good. You know, I, he asked me questions like, uh, you know, when was the last time you had sex? You know, I was a virgin until I got married. So I was like, I never had sex. When was the last time you got high? I'd never done drugs before. So my answer is no, I never got high. When was the last time you drank? When was the last time you got drunk? I ne- never got drunk before in my life. So the answer was no. I was feeling good about myself. My perception of was, Justin, you are a good person. He was probably maybe the, thinking, oh, this guy, is, he's a good person, but the Lord knows our heart, and I was feeling good until that moment where I was reminded of the things that I have done in secret that I do not want anybody to ever know about in my life, the the things that I was ashamed of, the things where I had broken the law of God, where I had become sinful in my own heart, that even though my outward appearance looked good, on the inward, I was not, and God knows. And so this, this man had a very similar testimony, because Jesus says, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And the, the, the man's response to this was, I've done all that from my youth. The dude never stealed, never, he, I mean, I started stealing when I was like two. 
I would rob my parents of their change on the counter, and I got caught for doing it. I would get allowance from both of them, and they didn't know about it. I was robbing them. Like, that was how, I, I remember when I was younger, wanting a video game, they wouldn't give it to me, so I waltzed right into KB Toys, I put that video game in my underwear, and I walked right out. That video game was mine, like, I had stolen. This guy is better than I was. Right? Jesus said, if you have lusted, you have committed adultery. This man had never committed adultery. This man, he seemed good, but Jesus started this statement before he rattled off the commandments. He says, why do you call me good? He was setting him up for a new understanding of good. But after Jesus rattles off these commandments and this man says, I've kept all of this from my youth. I have not broken any of these commandments. Jesus searches his heart. And he says this, there's one thing that you lack. Verse 22b. Says, Jesus says this to him. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when the young man heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. This dude was rich. He had money. And money makes it hard. See, the very thing in this culture that everybody thought was a blessing in this person's life had actually become a curse. You know, back then, the, in, in Jewish culture and in especially in what the disciples were perceiving at this moment, was that if you, you were a righteous and a good person, if you kept the law, and if you kept the law, everybody knew that you were a law keeper because you were prosperous. You had wealth, you had riches. And so this guy kept the law, and he was also extremely rich. So everybody knew he had the, the, both of the golden things that you needed to have. He was the law keeper, and he was rich. But the very thing that others had presupposed was a blessing in this man's life was actually his curse. Because his wealth had stolen his heart from God. You know, a lot of people think that the devil is the biggest rival for our heart. You know, it, it, the, the rivalry in our heart is between the devil and God, but that's actually not true. If you read through the Gospels there and, and you read through the Bible, it becomes very clear what the biggest rival for our heart is, and that rival is money. The devil is the biggest tempter. He is the one that truly looks to devour us and to attack us. But you know what? There's not billions of people wishing they were Satanists in the world right now. The biggest rival in our hearts is not Satan. It is money. 
When Jesus gives another parable later on and he says, you cannot what? Serve God. It doesn't say he, you can't serve God and the devil. He says you cannot serve God and money. There's a distinction there that is happening. That this thing that everybody thought was the most tremendous blessing that you can walk in in life was actually this man's curse. It was keeping him from eternal salvation. See, Jesus here, what he was doing was he was deconstructing everything the disciples believed about goodness. When this man walks away sad because Jesus says, look, you've done everything great. Good job. One thing. All that money. Give it away. And says no. He walks away. He chooses his wealth. He chooses his money. He chooses his possessions over eternal life. And Jesus says it's really hard for rich people to make it into heaven. This blows the disciples away because what Jesus is saying is that really you need to unlearn everything that you've learned. You perceive this man as good. And you perceive his riches and his wealth as something that is a blessing in his life. But what you need to understand is this, that wealth actually makes it harder for you. See, he uses this analogy. He says it's harder for a rich man to make it into the kingdom of God than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now, if you've, if you've been in church for a long time, you've heard about this place in Jerusalem called the eye of the needle. I have some really bad news for you. That place didn't exist in the time of Jesus. Scholars agree today that that is something that was constructed about three centuries ago, and it was something that stuck around. See, what Jesus really was doing linguistically is he was making a hyperbole. Jesus did this a lot. He had said to people before, you try to correct somebody and take the speck out of their eye when you have a log in your own eye. That is something called hyperbole. He is, he is getting a point across. And so the point that he is getting across here is this. You have perceived this man to be great. You have perceived him to be good. You have perceived him to need everything. He's followed the law and he has riches. But yet, he is not good. He is imperfect. Because even the thing that you think is the ultimate blessing from God, his wealth, was actually his ultimate downfall. This blows the disciples' minds. They are, they are, I mean, imagine growing up thinking something like, this is the ultimate that I need to live up to. If I follow God, if I do everything right, if I, if I follow all the law and, I, and I'm religious as possible, then I will have the wealth, I will have the status, I will have the possession. And you see people and you look at them and you think, I want to be like that person, but I, don't, I can't be as good as them. They, they really are getting it right. And God is really blessing them. I mean, they are doing it right. 
And then that person that you looked up to, Jesus looks at them and says, you will not have eternal life because you cannot give away the one thing that you are looking to have. I mean, this, they are going crazy. I mean, let's, let's read their reaction. In verse 26, it says, those who heard it said, then who can be saved? I mean, they're looking at Jesus like if this guy cannot get into heaven, God, then we are screwed. Who can be saved? But Jesus says what is impossible with man is possible with God. We're about to get on that in a second. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will now receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Man, the disciples are bugging out. If this guy can't get in, God, that means that I sure as heck am not getting into heaven. If this guy is not making it, who is the pinnacle of religious society, as the pinnacle of everything that I've ever wanted to be, and you're saying, he's not getting in. It's hard, it's, it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. For it is for him to get into heaven for what is going on. See, Jesus had to start this conversation revealing the true word of good. Because you would never understand the context of this conversation where it ended unless you understood where it began, that the only one who is good is God. See, if this man was good, then he never would have needed Jesus. If this man was good enough, then he could have made it into heaven on his own. But Paul says this, he says this in Romans 7, 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. The first step in order to receive salvation is to understand that there is nothing inherently good in me that deserves it. And the disciples start to come to this realization and they say, well, then who can be saved? Jesus, he says what is impossible with man is possible with God. That lies the beauty. See, when we want to disqualify ourselves... When we want to say to God, I can't possibly make it in that moment that I had to answer that question and I had to say, yes, there there are things that I am so ashamed about that I have never uttered a word to to another human being that I have done. In those moments when I realize that I am not good, 
that there is no way inside of me that I deserve salvation, that I deserve eternal life, that I deserve the love of God and the sacrifice that Jesus does. When I realize it is impossible for me to have a relationship with God, it is impossible for me to sit in eternity with the Father. Jesus throws out this statement that what's impossible for you is possible for God. See, we, we have so messed up that line, all things are possible. And we have made it about, like, man, I, I want to win this football game today. Oh, brother, all things are possible. I need to find that parking spot on my way to church. Oh, sister, all things are possible. Can I win this hot dog eating competition? Oh, let me tell you, all things are possible. But really what we need to understand is that when we understand our disqualification of heaven, when we understand that we are not good, when we are feeling down and out, and we go to our knees and we say to Jesus, how could you ever accept me? He says all things are possible. He says, God has made it possible for you to enter into heaven. That what is impossible for you to do, what is impossible for me to do, guess what? It is possible with God. That this line actually deeply is referring to our salvation as people. That when we look at the depth of our sin and how we are not good and the only one that is good is God. And that there is no reason why we should be accepted by him. No reason why we should spend eternity with him. No reason why we should be in his kingdom as sons and daughters. We realize that when we say with God all things are possible, we are actually speaking eternal salvation over our souls saying, God, I know I can't make it on my own, but with you today, I realize that in my sin, in my disqualification, and the things that I have done that I shouldn't make it to you, with you, it is possible that I can sit with you in eternity. So can the rich man make it into heaven? Yes, why? Because all things are possible with him. Can the prostitute make it into heaven? Yes, because with God it is possible. Can the cheater and the abuser and the liar and the stealer and the murderer come into heaven? Yes, we enter in together through the same gate, through the possibility of Jesus and God. And this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is what we were tasked with proclaiming to the ends of the earth, to bringing disciples into that when you look at the frailty of humanity, when you realize the, the, the dirtiness of your own heart, when you look at the chaos and, and the evil in the world, you can say that God accepts us. Why? Because he is just made a way and he's that good and he's that great that he can do it. And a lot of times when we come to God, we look at the pastor, we look at the worship leader, we look at maybe the small group leader, the prayer leader, and we say, if I could just be as good as them, I'll make it. And, and God's response to you today is, why do you call them good? 
because only God is good. And so next time you're coming to God and you feel disqualified in your sin, you feel like, oh, I can't worship today. I, 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 can't, I, I can't be amongst the fellowship of the brothers and the sisters today. I can't, I can't praise God. I can't, I can't go to him in prayer and in worship. I can't read my word because he, he sees what I've done. He knows the, 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 the evil things in my heart. I, I'm not going to be like that person that's on the stage. I'm not going to be like that greeter or that happy person whenever I see them. They just want to worship God. I'm never going to be like that. There's no point. You remember this. That what's impossible with you is possible with God. So stop looking at what you think you can do next time the enemy wants to disqualify you or you want your sin to, to become greater than God, that for somehow your sin is, is more powerful, somehow your sin is greater than the God, the, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who said, I want you to be with me and so therefore I will make a way, I will make it possible and you're gonna tell him that you don't think it's possible for you to be with him? Remember this, that when we talk about the possibility of God and how he can do anything in the world, we are first and foremost talking about the salvation of our souls. That next time you want to say, I, I can't be like that person or I, I wasn't good this week or there's, there's no way I can live up to the expectation of what I feel like I should be. Even the guy who followed everything from childhood, he was not good enough, so stop trying to be. Instead, put your faith in Jesus and realize that he was good enough for you. He sacrificed for you. That God deemed that he wanted to make it possible for you to enter into heaven. And that is all you need to know. And because he willed it and because he deemed it, only because of that are you able today to enter in. Let's pray. We thank you, God, that you made what is possible for us. Lord, something that when we're honest with ourselves, we realize is very impossible to do. But because of your great love and your grace towards us, you have willed a way into existence for us to have eternity with you, for us to be adopted as your sons and daughters, to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your marvelous light. That today we can enter in as brothers and sisters, fully justified and righteous before you. Not because we could do it, but only sheerly because it is possible through you. 
Lord, I pray that we would worship with freedom today, that we would worship with no burdens, Father, that we would worship God light in your presence, knowing that we are not weighed down by sin, that we are not weighed down by our perceptions and by other people's perceptions of us, but Lord, that we are free to worship in your presence, to rejoice in your name and salvation, knowing that you have made a way where it was impossible, you have made it possible. In Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. Why don't we worship and praise today?